right, all right. The Michael Slate Show. That's right. I'm back here, sitting here, and saying, what the hell is going on? That's what we should all be shouting, what the hell is going on, and what are we going to do about it, all right? And this is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm Michael Slate, and I'll just get right down to what everybody is thinking about these days. We are living in extraordinary times, times that are full of danger to ourselves, to the planet, to all of humanity. The brutal war in, in Ukraine, which anyone with a conscience should oppose, the war on women here in the U.S., and the whole rise of fascism that's going on. This is a planet on fire, sisters and brothers, crisscrossed by desperate refugees and dominated by the brutal system of capitalism and imperialism. Whatever the form of rule, right? Never forget that. Whatever the form of rule, that's what's going on. These times demand that we act to do that. We need to understand. We try to bring you that understanding every week. But now it is more urgent than ever. So at the back end of the show, we're going to talk to two of the actors from the play Hooded or Being Black for Dummies because we need the kind of culture that speaks the truth and does it in beautifully creative ways. So stick around for that, definitely, okay? Before that, we'll hear more from uh, the Rise Up for Abortion Rights rallies on March 8th, International Women's Day. Today, we're going to hear novelist, playwright, and director Sakivu Hutchinson in that, in that slot, all right? And that's, I'm really looking forward to that. And opening the show up, I'll be talking with author and activist Larry Everest. Now, Larry's a contributor to the website Revcom.us, Revolution Newspaper, who reported from Iran in 1979 and 1980. He's the author of Oil, Power, and Empire and the U.S. Global Agenda, which details America's 2003 invasion and its so-called war on terror. Recently, he's been a very active member of the International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners, or the IEC. Larry, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Michael. Yeah, good to hear you, man. It's good to hear you, and I'm really, really looking forward to get into this because we've got a lot to talk about today, all right? Great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yesterday, there was, an important, there was important news from Iran. Nazinan Zagari Ratcliffe and Anusha Ashuri are free. That's actually a very good thing. They are free. They're two Iranian British dual nationals who had been unjustly held as uh, political prisoners and bargaining chips by the Islamic Republic of Iran for years. They are now returned to Britain and have been reunited with their families. This comes at a time of grave new dangers facing other political prisoners in Iran, as well as the a time of important advances recently by the International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners, the IEC, which you are part of. Now, you've had, you've, you all have worked to bring to bring home the urgency and the importance for people everywhere who, er, who yearn for a better world around this battle to free Iran's political prisoners now. So let's jump into this, man. All of this is, is, is taking place in the middle of, a ma of major conflicts and major developments in the Middle East, Europe, and the world. Let's jump into this, all right? What actually, what's been happening here? Larry, Nazanin and Anusha are back in, uh, in the UK Nazanin has uh, had been in prison for six years, Anusha for five years. Why were they released now? And what's the significance of this victory for the struggle to free all Iran's political prisoners? No, it's great news that Nazanin and Anusha have been released. Their cases 
first of all, open a window on what the emergency campaign has been calling this brutal campaign of arrest, torture, illegitimate imprisonment, and the bankruptcy and reactionary nature of the entire Islamic Republic and its legal system. Uh, Anushe was a retired engineer, went to Iran to visit family, and got arrested and put in prison, supposedly for being an Israeli spy. Nazanin works for a charitable foundation. Again, she was in Iran visiting family and arrested and charged with attempting to overthrow the government. Now, neither both of these charges, I shouldn't be laughing, but these are laughable uh, charges. There was no basis for them at all. And the point uh, from the Islamic Republic was sending a message of terror to Iranians around the world, even if you're a citizen of another country, if you set foot in Iran, you can be detained. It sends a message to all the people in Iran about how arbitrary and capricious this uh, regime can be. And, and it's also uh, using these people as pawns in their international uh, maneuvers with other reactionary world powers. So this has happened. There are at least 14 other dual nationals who've been snatched up like this, uh, including Mehran Roof, who is also a British, uh, UK, United Kingdom dual citizen, and is very urgent we fight for his release, and the other dual nationals and the hundreds of political prisoners who've been subjected to equally arbitrary um, so-called, quote, justice, quote, unquote, injustice. But the other thing I think is really important to note about this is the power of an international global outcry and the struggle of the families, the struggle of organizations like the International Emergency Campaign, uh, other human rights organizations, and so on. I mean, the families of both uh, Anushe, who, by the way, uh, his family is, they have all, his daughter, his son, his wife, have all signed the emergency appeal to free Iran's political prisoners that we put out. And this is a very important step they took. They've been campaigning, holding vigils and protests in front of uh, 10 Downing Street in in, uh, in England. And um, Richard Radcliffe, the husband of Nazanin, has also, he's been campaigning for six years. He's gone on a number of hunger strikes, including recently, uh, several months ago, and he really, he really put himself on the line for this. It attracted widespread support, uh, human rights groups, various officials, tremendous amount of news coverage. So all of this points to the fact that this global outcry that the international emergency campaign is working, along with others, to heighten can really make a difference and put uh, enormous political and moral pressure on both the Islamic Republic, but also these imperialist and reactionary powers that are dealing with Iran. And there, and there are 
uh, dual national prisoners from Germany, like Nahid Tagavi, from France, from a number of other, from the U.S., uh, from another of uh, a number of other countries that really they deserve to be released right now. And so I encourage all the listeners to go to our website, freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org. I know it's a mouthful. It makes sense. freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org. Sign the, the emergency appeal, catch up on the news, get involved with the campaign. All right. You know, Larry, one of the things that's, I mean, this is, it's a very heavy thing to be talking about these days. And given what's going on in the world, and as Nazanin and Anusha were being released, the IEC was issuing an emergency update on the dire situation of courageous young women's, women nationalists, Sepeda Goliath, is it Golian? I think, yes, Golian. 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 And she's, who is in urgent need of medical care. And you said that uh, Sepeda Golian uh, must be free on medical release now. And you're, you've warned you, you've warned of the danger of other prisoners being killed from medical neglect as well. And as the uh, renowned poem Bakatash Abitan was earlier this year, tell us about this situation, about this, about Sepeda Golian, and why you and other organizations are actually going out so are, are so concerned about her situation and doing something about it. Well, she's just a tremendously courageous and inspiring. 27-year-old journalist. This is a country um, where women are forced to wear the veil and uh, can be arrested or lashed uh, for the simplest uh, infractions if some of their hair is visible and so on. And Sepaday is a young woman. She might be wearing red hair. She might be wearing pink hair. She might be wearing orange. She might be wearing all three. And, and, and she's a very defiant young woman. She was first arrested in 2018 for writing about a sugar worker strike in the southwest province of Huzestan. She was put in jail. She was beaten. She was uh, tortured to try to force a confession, sentenced to, to years in prison. Yet she did not stop for one moment exposing the brutality of this regime and speaking out against it for the rights of women, for the rights of Iran's minority nationalities, for, for civil rights and, and, and basic freedoms. And, uh, you know, for example, in 2019, she um, wrote a, a, a memoir exposing this, uh, um, the criminal uh, treatment of people in Garchok prison. She's, she's done the same thing in, in, uh, recently. Whenever she's gotten out on medical release, she's taken to Twitter or to YouTube uh, and exposed things like the um, sexual assault that, that takes place regularly in Iran's prisons. And uh, for this, in October 2021, she was brought off a of medical leave, put back in these in these dungeons. And now uh, her family, just on March 6th, her family sent out an emergency message, uh, which groups like the Center for Human Rights in Iran have, have given wide publicity to, that we're publicizing, the campaign is, people can 
uh, go again to the website I mentioned and look under campaign news, and you'll see a whole article about Sepede. But her family um, sent this just gut-wrenching letter. We want to explain the situation briefly and clearly. It's enough to say in one sentence that Sepede Golian's life is in imminent danger, and they list you know, her getting COVID in prison, um, her having other underlying uh, health conditions, and just the stress and strain of having to endure harsh prison, solitary confinement, beating, torture, and so on and so forth. And they end this on the eve of International Women's Day. Our Sepede's life is still in danger. So this is just a heart-rending, outrageous development and it points as you were saying in the in the introduction that this is one of the ways the regime deals with dissent it's death by disease allowing this to happen not giving people the uh, medical care that they deserve and need and so yes people need to step up and cry very loudly for her freedom. Again, go to the website, freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org, and you can find out how you can be involved in this. Yeah, it's really important. And I was just thinking about that before you said it. And, you know, I want to pursue it a little bit more because, you know, your answers are very good in this. And, and But there's also there's still remaining questions. And I think it's important for people all over the world, from here in particular, but also people all over the world, to stand up and, and, and one, understand what's really going on. And then you know, that, get, that, get, that allows people to think about what they need to do. But before we do that, I want to remind people you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking today with Larry Everest. And um, we're talking about, which is, I, I think it's just a, it's a very, very important subject. It's about what's happening in Iran and the situation of women there and what's going to happen, basically. I mean, this is, the, this is something that's, like, blowing up around the world. And it's a, it's a question that's, it's, that's really, in one way or another, really smacking smacking the the hell out of the out of anybody who's really trying to, you know, live um, in, in a normal, you know, in a normal way. But even the, especially against the people who are standing up and fighting against all kinds of oppression. And I think that's really a big part of what actually ha- what you've been talking about. That there's this, you know, the Sepedangolian and why you and other organizations are so concerned about her situation. It has a lot to do with uh, what, what I want to ask you about now, which is the international emergency campaign has recently made some important advances in all this. And on March 8th, International Women's Day, the campaign was part of marches in Germany, France, and Finland. You know, Finland, you know, that, no, that, that was one that really knocked me up. Finland, you got it, okay? <laughs> you know, I thought they were just I cold. Don't know if it was it Finland station, Michael, or not? <laughs> but it was in Finland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, tell us about this as well, as, as well as other recent uh, efforts to build the global struggle to free Iran's political prisoners. This is extremely important. For people to hear and understand, so let's talk about that a little. Well, I just uh, I just have to say, listen, you know, listening to your intro, right now, people in this country, I mean, the uh, the invasion of Ukraine, as you said, by Russian imperialism, as you said in the introduction, uh, is a nightmare. But the people in this country are getting twenty four seven propaganda about the horrors facing those people in order to line people up behind U.S. imperialism in this conflict. And where do we hear the news of Sepede Golian? 
where do we hear the news here of Bakhtash Abtin and all the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of courageous Iranians rising up? This is so this is a big part of the what this campaign is aimed at is to break the silence, break the sound barrier. And as you say, there was a important advance on International Women's Day, burn the cage, free the birds, which is a, a pro prisoner uh, Iranian a group of Iranians and, and Afghan people in the diaspora and other supporters of the International Emergency Campaign took the campaign to Women's Day protests in Paris, in Dusseldorf, Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany, Berlin, as well as Helsinki, Finland, and, um, you know, intersected with French, with German, with Turkish, with Afghan, with Kurdish women, uh, and many others. And there was actually a, a big article about this effort um, in uh, in the uh, very important Farsi news outlet, outlet Iran Wire, uh, which also published extensive excerpts from the emergency appeal, which which was being uh, distributed. And one thing that I wanted to point to is that in the leaflet handed out in Paris, apparently there were thirty thousand women in the streets. Uh, we need that here right now. Uh, as you were talking about in your intro, passed out a leaflet. And one of the things they said was to the Islamic, the leaflet said to the Islamic regime, free all political prisoners in Iran now. And to the U.S. government, lift sanctions, no threats or no war moves against Iran. And this points to a very key principle of this international emergency campaign, Number one is internationalism. We stand with the people of the world, and we're mobilizing the people of the world, and we're fighting for people in this country to do the same and to wake up and to see what's going on to people around the world and stand with them and proceed in the interests of humanity, not in the interests of the different reactionary powers, whether they be a a uh, third world, uh, develop, you know, oppressed country reactionary power like the Islamic Republic of Iran or the major world powers, which, of course, overall can do far more damage, as we're seeing with these, this talk of nuclear war as an actual possibility uh, in Ukraine but, and not standing with these imperialists. And... Um, you know, that's been a, a key uh, strength of this international emergency campaign. And I just want to uh, say for myself as a revolutionary communist and a contributor to Revcom.us, this stance of proceeding from the interests of humanity, not the interests of the great powers, is incredibly important right now in around this situation in Ukraine. I mean, the, the campaign is not dealing with Ukraine. So I'm speaking, uh, you know, for myself here, because our campaign includes everyone from people like me to uh, Republicans, and, you know, people of different religions and so on and so forth. 
But I just think this is especially important, and I wanted to just point people to the coverage on Revcom.us, Revcom.us, that's the website I write for, and the Revolution Nothing Less show, which is a YouTube show that comes on weekly every Thursday, and all the episodes are online at YouTube. The Revcoms is their uh, is their address, and you can also find it on the website. And in particular, I want to point to the very sharp analysis and exposure that the revolutionary leader Bob and and author of the New Communism Bob Avakian has been doing uh, around Ukraine. And you come to that website, and the first thing you see is a very important uh, basic point he makes, that this big power bullying and aggression by Russia is something all decent people, and I'm paraphrasing here in the interest of time, uh, that all decent people should expose, but no one should be joining with the U.S. imperialists in their rivalry with Russia, which is the main thing shaping it, even as, yes, the Ukrainian people are you know, fighting against this unjust invasion, but it's this, um, Ukraine's been turned into a field of inter-imperialist rivalry and contention. And, um, you know, and, and as Avakian goes on to say, it's utterly disgusting and hypocritical for the U.S., imperialists and the media to be right, you know, to be pontificating about war crimes and crimes against humanity and civilian casualties and all the rest of it that we've that we've heard, you know, when they they're the biggest, they've carried out far more invasions and other acts of violence and terror than any power on Earth by far. But anyway, and so there's more analysis and, and coverage of this at Revcom.us, and I just wanted to uh, direct people to that, even okay. though, as I said, this, you know, isn't – this is of concern to all of us. All right. right let, me, let me ask you this. We have yeah. one last question I think that we can get out, out, out now, and uh, there's so much to talk about this, but this is something that people really need to hear, okay, and that's it. You've always stressed that the campaign is not a symbolic one, and I think you've been saying that throughout this thing, but I think people need to hear a little bit more on that. You're not just fighting the good fight in this. The IEC is aiming for nothing short of freeing all of Iran's political prisoners. The release of uh, Nazanin and Anusha shows that the potential for freeing political prisoners, and now I see the campaign has issued a new plan for the coming months, advancing the IEC to free Iran's political prisoners plans for mid-2022. Let's talk about that, and we're going to have to be, um, you know, just get into it, and we'll go as far as we can, but we need to actually really dig into that for just a minute, okay? I think you're telling me to be concise, Michael. <laughs> well, if it was up to me, I'd let you talk all the time, but now we got we got, we oh. got to try and get others out there, too. But let's go. Let's, let's... No, you don't want to wish for that. <laughs> anyway, um, seriously, the... Um, the campaign, our, our emergency appeal, um, which has been signed by people from 40 countries, every continent but Antarctica, and very prominent figures, including Noam Chomsky, Nobel laureates Jody Williams and Shireen Abadi, Dan Ellsberg, Gloria Steinem, Ariel Dorfman, 
the list goes on, thousands of people. This is still the most important tool we have. We need to get this signed by many more people. We need to get it much further out in society. We're working on publishing it in the U.S., but also it's been translated into Turkish, into German, into um, English, into Farsi, into Spanish. Uh, I'm probably forgetting one of the languages. If I didn't say German, I'll say it now. And publishing it there, we want to be working more closely with people internationally, as happened on International Women's Day that I just talked about, but also very inspiringly in Bogota, Colombia, when a group of revolutionaries staged a protest at the Iranian embassy in Bogota, demanding freedom for the political prisoners. They did these beautiful um images of the different of many of the different prisoners and marched through town um and we have so more of that we we're we have plans to get this out on campus in a special classroom sessions and on on the on a particular campus and broadcast it to the world very important students and youth learn about this and we're finding different ways to hold meetings on clubhouses and Zooms to draw people into discussing this and getting involved in the campaign. And once more, the website, free Iran's political prisoners now.org. You know, and one of the things that I think is really important, again, emphasizing is that the release of Nazanin and Anusha shows the potential for freeing political prisoners when people actually stand up and, and go for this, that, that, that they insist, they, they, they refuse to turn their eyes the other way. And I, you know, I see the campaign has issued a new plan for the coming months advancing the IEC to free Iran's political prisoners, plans for mid-2022. Uh, Just real quick, a, 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 an analysis of that. Tell us what that is. Well, it's, it's, it's what I just said. And more. Mm -hmm. And the more is detailing some of the advances that we have made that, again, have shown this potential. And I really want to emphasize what you said. I mean, Elika Ashuri, uh, Richard Radcliffe, they have worked for five, six years fighting for this, never giving up on it. And now... uh, you know, now they've won freedom for their loved ones, and we've got to fight to win freedom uh, for all everyone's loved ones unjustly imprisoned in Iran. And the entire plan that you mentioned is on the website. Uh, you know, I'll say it one more time, freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org. So I encourage people to go there, and, and you'll see it. All right, Larry, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and I'm sure, sure we're going to be talking again very soon. Hey, I hope so, Michael. Thanks for covering this important news and for everything you do. Thanks, Larry. You too. All right. Talk to you again soon, man. Bye now. All right. Uh, This is the Michael Slate Show, and we've been talking with Larry Everest on the International Emergency Campaign to Free Iran's Political Prisoners, a very important campaign. Okay, sisters and brothers, very important. And we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. سوزان بیا در خیابان 
صداش رو بلرزان تو بنیاد زندان نه تیر و تناب و نه آسان فقط حق انسان فقط حق انسان ترسید باید آنها بترسن هستیم در کنار زندانیان دروند بترسید بترسید ای صاحبان زندان آمدیم در خیابان بشتنیم قفل زندان All right, all right. Welcome back. That was Burn the Cage by Shakib Masad. Mas, I don't want to murder the, the, the pronunciation, but it's Mosadeo, I think, or Mosadeic. Right now, and it's a really, it's a very important, you know, just taking all these things that are coming out that, from people in that area and what's happening and what they're talking about and what they're, what they're trying to bring to people, to the people who live there, the people that don't know about this stuff yet around the world. And this is extremely important for all of us to, 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 to follow up on this, right? Now, on March 8th, okay, on March 8th, the protests were held around the country um, by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. We're going to hear a powerful, we're going to hear some powerful remarks or a, a powerful remark by Sakivu Hutchinson. And she's, uh, she's been a, a, she's just very involved in this. She's very important. She's made a lot, lot of, comp- a lot of, Basically, she's done a lot to bring this out to people all over, and she's introduced by one of the MCs at the rally just recently. So check this out. I think you'll really uh, see what I'm talking about. So next speaker I want to introduce, her name is Sakivu Hutchinson. She is a writer, director, and founder of the Women's Leadership Project, Black Feminist Mentoring and Civic Engagement Program for Girls of Color in South L.A., so give a big hand for Sukivo Hutchinson. Thank you. Good afternoon. Happy International Women's Day. We are going to shut down the fascists who are trying to disrupt and destroy women's right to self-determination and bodily autonomy. In 1974, in her anthology, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, Alice Walker wrote, did you have a genius of a great, great grandmother who died under some ignorant and depraved overseer's lash? Or was she required to bake biscuits for a lazy backwater tramp when she cried out in her soul to paint watercolors of sunsets? Or was her body broken and forced to bear children who are more often than not sold away from her. Eight, 10, 15, 20 children, when her one joy was the thought of modeling heroic figures of rebellion in stone or clay. It is a question with an answer cruel enough to stop the blood. Walker's visionary words call up the brutal history of institutionalized rape and forced childbearing inflicted on enslaved black women. She skewers the American as apple pie terrorism that shaped racial capitalism and enriched white supremacist wealth and theft. 
For decades, we pro-abortion, unapologetically pro-abortion, black feminists have stood for Roe and on-demand access to abortion as a fundamental, inalienable human right. We've publicly hailed the liberating effect our own abortions had on our lives, economic independence, mobility, free from state apartheid, white supremacist, capitalist, heterosexist violence. We've slammed the escalation of white supremacist Christian nationalism since well before the Reagan-Bush years, when women were being, black women were being demonized as welfare queens. We've insisted that black women's leadership in reproductive justice and economic justice resistance be foregrounded as a counterweight to the narrow pro-choice agenda advanced by black, by white women feminists. Let's be clear, pro-death, anti-abortion public policy, terrorist attacks on clinics, doctors, and the creation of these sham crisis pregnancy centers are all a form of race, class, and gender warfare disguised as religious morality crusades to protect so-called innocent babies. There are 59 countries globally that have actually expanded abortion protections, while the U.S. is in reverse, the so-called exceptionalist U.S. The capitalist theocracy who put this thug, Christian fascist supermajority on the Supreme Court are saying you to women and LGBTQ folks with a bloody coat hanger. They're spewing the toxic sanctimony of Christian morals while shutting down equitable access to health care, to living wage jobs, to universal child care, to voting rights, and anti-racist pro-queer education as well as decarceration. And we've seen in fascist states like Texas and Florida how they are terrorizing trans kids. They are terrorizing non-binary kids with legislation that seeks to criminalize queer identity, that seeks to witch hunt LGBTQ families who are supporting their children, that seeks to witch hunt and muzzle teachers that are unapologetically supporting queer, trans, non-binary, and non-conforming youth. This perfect storm of domestic terrorism drives the theft we know of decades of multi-generational wealth of communities of color. It's because of this that black women only have a minuscule penny to the dollar of white families. It's because of this that Latinx women and indigenous women earn less than 60 cents than white cis men. This pro-death regime does not want a free-thinking, unbought and unbossed working class. It relies on lies and cultural propaganda to victim blame and victim shame women of color into moral submission. Over a decade ago, some of us know that the right propagandized that abortion was quote unquote black genocide. It pissed on generations of reproductive justice activism 
by freedom fighters like Sister Song, by freedom fighters like the Comhe River Collective, which was a black lesbian socialist movement. Black women we know never, ever had the legal right to quote unquote plan parenthood because we were always considered to be chattel, to be property, to be animals, to be breeders, to be beasts of burden. We are never considered to be worthy of protection under the law to this day in the 21st century. We are never considered to be the rightful owners of our bodies and our communities, which is why we are going to shut down the white supremacist Christian fascists that want to tell us otherwise. We know that these anti-abortion bills are most prevalent in states that have some of the worst health and poverty indices for women of color and children in the nation. Georgia, for example, has the second highest black maternal mortality rate. It's an atrocity. Alabama ranks 49th in infant outcomes with scores of black Alabama children under the poverty line. And so they claim God, this immoral, corrupt God, as their compass. These theocrats that are driving more working class children into abject poverty. Two decades ago, when I gratefully and appreciatively and unapologetically and swaggerly had an abortion in LA and in Connecticut, we had the very same trolls right out in front of the clinics trying to shut our rights down. White men, refugees from the Operation Rescue Movement that some of us may remember. There's a direct through line between these terrorist trolls and the slave catchers of Alabantabellum. There's a direct through line between these terrorist trolls and the Christian fascist supermajority on the Supreme Court, as well as their white male lieutenants in the state houses in the Midwest and in the South. So for black women who are watching, our ancestors who are watching and asking, did you have a genius of a great-grandmother who shoved a coat hanger up her vagina? Did you have a genius of a great-grandmother who tried to throw herself down the stairs or took toxic herbs to find a way to her own body? Did you have a free-thinking, trans great-grandmother who resisted, who led quiet uprisings, who scribbled poetry in the dead of night or who worked her fingers to the bone at a job that she despised, hiding her queerness? Did you have one who time traveled, dreaming of your existence, hungering for you to demand justice now in their name, and who conjured you here now, waiting for you to answer that we will not back down that we are fighting for abortion on demand, out, proud, and without apology, and without retreat, against the terrorists, against the fascists, against the theocrats, 
and against this lie of American exceptionalism. All right, that was Sakibu. <laughs> that was Sakibu Hutchinson speaking at Rise Up for Abortion Rights in Los Angeles on March eighth. Now, you know, it's it's very it's very heavy what's 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 going on around you know, in this in this country and in this just in the in the whole state of living and the state of uh, you know just what's happening to women in particular. This this was the beginning of protests that are when she was talking, that was the beginning of protests that are being organized to stop the Supreme Court from overturning Roe v. Wade. Just think about that. They have to fight, people have to fight, all of us have to fight to stop the Supreme Court from overturning Roe v. Wade in the coming months. You can find out more at Rise Up uh, for Abortions Rights uh, at riseupforabortionrights.org, spelled with the number four. And you can check out my social media we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. All right, Troubled Times, all right? That was by Green Day. And this is, uh, <laughs> these are exactly the times that we're living in. This is extremely important that we understand all that, all right? And um, basically, you know, I want to, that really fits in with what we were, uh, with basically what we're trying to do, trying to do this today, you know, this week. And especially, um, it hit me hard because recently I saw the LA premiere of a, Basically, of a show that was uh, hooted or being black for dummies, a powerful and thought-provoking play that was written by Terence Arival Chisholm. Hopefully, they will forgive me for not saying that correctly. And it was directed by Ahmed Best. Now, I, I have to say that you know when we when we talk about this, I want to talk to you know now Marquis and True are the main characters in this in this play, All right, And they're both fourteen. They're, year, they're uh, 14 years old. They're black kids who are sitting in the begin, who in the beginning seem to have a lot in common, but live in completely different worlds and find that reality smacks them in the head. And uh, True played is played by Brent by Brent Grimes and is a street smart um, kid on the street that knows the system. And Jalen K. Stewart plays Marky, um, a book smart prep scholar. <laughs> You can, know, you can tell I was not a prep scholar, so I'm a little hard getting rid of that one. Prep scholar who truly feels needs that, that who truly feels needs to be taught about black, about being black. All right. And when I saw this, you know, this whole question about being black and what's what's up with that, what what what, what impact it has in the, in the for people who are black and for all the rest of us who have to, you know, basically need to look at ourselves in terms of what's being put out here. So I wanted to jump into this, and I don't want to, I'm not going to talk anymore because I think I, I, I want to just get the questions out because I think it's very important. But I wanted to thank both of you guys for being in. Jalen Stewart plays Marquis at the, at, and um, is here to join us. And is there another person there with you? Yes, there should be. Uh, Brent, Mr. Brent Grimes should be, should be with us right now. Uh, Brent, are you there? 
Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna rush ahead, and we'll see if we can get get him. But let's talk about this. All right? You know, our audience is. Uh, I want people to know a little bit more about you know the play your and your character in particular, and what you learned um, or changed in working in this play. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this play, like you said, it's a very uh, man. It, it's a it's a, it's satirical. It's it's you know there's moments of irony. It's I hesitate to say it's a comedy because the comedy is rooted in uh, you know such such I guess dark humor, such serious um, content, especially being in this country right now. Um, my character, like you said, is uh, Marquise. You know, he's a, you know, he, he grew up, uh, he was adopted by white parents, um, had a very just affluent suburban lifestyle, and through meeting True, who, you know, on, on the surface is the polar opposite of a person, um, I go through this, you know, this, this whirlwind of sort of realizing how I, you know, how I'm perceived in this, in this world. And it's, um, you know, you can say I'm, I'm blindsided by this information, and I'm, I'm sort of having a bit of an identity crisis that True tries to help me through. Um, so without trying to say too much, which I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to spoil how it goes, um, by the end, you know, uh, I go through a, you know, a bit of a transformation with, with True's help. Uh, and it's, it's quite the ride, you know, mm-hmm. as you, as you saw when you, um, when you came to check it out. So I'll, I'll try not to say too much. But <laughs> it's, uh, All right. Well, look, yeah, it's a great piece of work. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I think, I think it was a tremendous piece. I was really happy to be able to see it. And, uh, and also now True is, is here, I think. Um, True, are you here? Hello. Hi. What do you, what about, how does this fit? No, I know you've been listening. So how does this fit in with what you're thinking? You know, because your character is street smart and knows the system and all this other stuff as opposed to the other one. So let's, let's talk about that a little. Because it was one of those things, that dichotomy between the two of you, you know, and, and the way you came came together but but fell apart and came back again together and it really concentrated some stuff about the reality of being black in america Mm -hmm. and um that's sort of um going along with what Jalen was saying is i serve as like sort of this um spiritual guide if you will to help him find out what it is that he's lost because my character true just really truly believes that there's no way that a black person as Marquise could even exist or function in a society that's, you know, ripe with potholes and inherent, you know, institutionalized racism. And Marquise is a person who understands his blackness, but doesn't see it in the context of the greater, you know, country that, that is America, that, that, you know, even though you have these grand ideas for yourself, you have these, these visions and dreams, it could all be cut short. It could all be taken away from you with just one wrong move. And so, like, my character is there to help, you know, protect him in a way. It's, it's like um, it becomes a really interesting relationship of almost like um, um, sensei and pupil. Or, But it's more to me, you know, and as we continue with this place, becoming more and more to me like a brotherhood, um, you know, I think the chemistry that, you know, Jalen and I have, Marquise and True have in the play becomes sort of like this dynamic duo. And um, you'll see sort of that relationship change and, you know, like you said, um, kind of fall apart and come back together. 
But at the end of the day, I think um, we both have this sincere like respect and, and love that you'll you'll find. You know, one of the things I think that, that really struck me too is that, that you know the role, look. You know, there's a part here where even is it one of the the, the areas uh, known as Achievement Heights in Maryland. Having lived in Maryland a little for a little while, <laughs> Achievement Heights is hard for me to you know think about. <laughs> but you know, but I want to talk about that a little bit. But also, you know, because there's there's a challenge for um, people for you guys to dig into this reality of your own preconceived notions around black people and the society. And, and, and in society in particular, has, there's, there's a way that this has to be talked to or, or, or basically this has to be in the face of people who, don't, who think that this is just bull, that it, does, it's, it doesn't matter when actually it matters very much. And I think that's what came through with the play. To me, that's what came through. The, what you guys did in there, it was important. It mattered. And I'd like to talk here from both of you about what you think of that. Yeah, um, I, it's it's. I was thinking about when you said, uh, you know, you break you're breaking up there a little bit. Okay, can you hear me now? I can hear you. It's it's fine. Um, can you hear me? Um, yeah, yeah, I was just, I was gonna say, um, you know, just just in terms of just like mattering. I think these pieces do matter. I think um, it says something to you know the consciousness of. Of, of the people who are who are watching it to um, society um, at large, I also feel as though you know we're watching this play through the lens of children, and um, I think that's an important thing to like remember. And why it is important is because like children are to me the future. Children are they have the key to the tomorrow that I feel like everybody wants. And it's through them, it's through them that we learn so much about ourselves because, you know, I feel like in, in the world we live in as adults, there's consequences to your actions. There's consequences to, to racism. There's consequences to all of it. You can't, just, you can't just, you know, move through the world we live in and expect nothing to happen, you know, no repercussions when you behave or, or act in a certain kind of way or your biases, you know, present themselves. I think as kids, there's the, there's the space to sort of mess up and not get it right. But, you know, it's that, that process of learning and the curiosity to want to know the right answers. That's, to me, really um, endearing, and that's what you get from these kids. And I think it's important to know how kids are thinking because it, it gives you a, a good gauge of where we are. Um, there's, a, there's a certain... Um, <laughs> There's a line that sticks out to me. Um, one of the, the characters, um, Meadow, played by um, Claire Donovan. She's magnificent in this play, by the way. But, mm -hmm. um, she, she says um, she sort of has this, you know, she has these little small inherent biases that come out at certain times, and her friends call her on it, and she just can't even fathom a, a, the possibility of her actually being racism or, you know, um, or showing that in any kind of way, you know, and the way she justifies, justifies it is pretty funny as well. But um, it's, it's really interesting to me how, like, children, you know, grapple with these bigger ideas that, you know, that we as adults still struggle with, you know, and, and um, finding them work through that is sort of like, to me, the heart of the play. Now, are you trying to tell me that Achievement Heights is not the heart of the play? <laughs> 
I mean, I had to, I had to... Heights is deep in the heart of the play. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's what I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I, you know, it's, it's, we're having a little bit of trouble here, but I wanted to ask, um, now who was I just talking to? This was true. This was true. Was okay. All right. Rent, okay. All right. Now I wanted, to, I want to talk to Jalen for a minute. Um, and to talk about this, what, what you think of this, because we have really a matter of minutes around here and there's a lot that's going on, um, you know, basically, there's a challenge that that you guys have put out to people about the reality in, in 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 this society and what happens to black people and black youth in particular. And I think that both uh, the, the 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 both of you basically you shine in this in this whole thing. But we need to, I really want people to get a sense of why they should be going out to see this, and I want them to actually understand that this is a major major situation. It's a major argument for people for for the li- livelihood of black people in America because there is not. A lot of like, you know, oh, yes, well, black people are just, I don't want to hear this. They're just as, just as good, just as equal or something like that because this system pounds down on black people like no forgiveness, you know. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think that, I think that, that reason alone is, is a, a major reason why people should come check this play out. You know, I, I think it's, it's talking about things that people aren't comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's charging each individual who comes to see the show with, you know, it, it, it's a challenge to sort of um, sort of uh, come to terms or, you know, exposure yourself internally with maybe, you know, assumptions or presumptions you may hold toward toward other people in real time, you know, and I feel like uh, with, you know, hearing some of the audience reactions, you know, I can sort of tell that they're they're having this internal conflict, you know, and that they're they're almost not really even getting time to sort of flush out before, you know, the next, the next thing happens mm-hmm. in the show. You know, I, the, the word whirlwind always comes to mind when, you know, when thinking about this show as a, as a whole, you know, I feel like by the end of it, we want people, you know, speaking to those that came to see the show with their family, you know, those who couldn't have, couldn't have made it um, and themselves on how, you know, what, what, part they play in this in this issue because it may feel like just an issue that's only plaguing you know young black men but if if you know if one of us is being oppressed then we're we're all being oppressed and it's important to not only realize that um consciously you know in your frontal lobe but it's important to know that when you walk in these streets that just because you know you may not look like the people who are being targeted specifically it's, it's the responsibility of all of us to sort of do what we can to make this you know a problem of the past and it's not an easy thing to talk about because it's one of those things that has been a part of our history for since the beginning of american history it seems like a, it, it's a it's a daunting thought it's not you know it's very sobering um it doesn't seem like there's really uh you know a solution to be even discovered but this play and watching these kids that, you know, um, you may have heard, you know, a, a different version of it in real life on the news. We're, what we're doing with this play is we're humanizing these kids. We're making them full 360 degree individuals, mm-hmm. someone that, you know, um, in the real world to give them an opportunity to actually know who these people are behind the headlines. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really the key. Their aspirations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's really that's that's really the key to solving this this whole thing. We have to humanize one another. And yeah, and actually, the other the other part is humanizing one another. Also, we got to get out of this mess they got us living in. <laughs> this this system that, yeah. that would actually make allow that the ki- kind of things that you see every day, the the horrors that are brought down to to, to black people and other oppressed nationalities. We can't sit back and let this happen on and on and on and not do something. And I thought that was one of the things that's really, really important about the play. Unfortunately, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to wrap this up because we're running out of time. But I'd really like to get back to you and talk about this a little bit more. All right. We got to live. I want to thank you very much for giving us this, this play that, we, that I saw and just talked about forever after I saw it the, the other day. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. All right. All right, thank you very much for doing for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys, man, and, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Now the uh, let we uh, that is a guy that's saying I got a con. No, seriously, I want to thank Gary and I want to thank Henry for running the show today and for, and for making it possible for us to actually have the show today and, and being able to being there and holding up the end of it. Right? Okay, and that's really important. And this is this is I'm not sure. Oh yes, one thing I got to tell you real quick. All right. We refuse to let the Supreme Court deny women's humanity and decimate their rights. Abortion on demand and without apology. Join the fight. That's what we got to talk about. We're going to throw down around some stuff. Surely things will work out, they do it every time.